start turning to Revelation chapter 5. And if you want to turn to Romans, you can turn there too. We'll be in a couple of places in Romans as well. Um, So we're continuing our series through what we believe at CRC. And this week we are talking about what we believe about worship. And there are a bunch of different things that we could talk about within worship. I, I feel like it probably wouldn't have been a bad idea for me to make sure that Caleb preached this one just because I feel like I just did a whole series where I was talking a lot about worship. And it would have been cool to hear his perspective too. But no, we'll just double down on what I think apparently about all of this. Hopefully we believe the same things though. And we talk about things. So I don't think I'm going to go too far off on a limb here. But we really did just take a whole series. We went through the whole book of Song of Solomon and saw how the way that the king loved his wife led her to a big demonstrative response to his love, right? And we talked about, about how we as the church have a God who, who has done great things for us, who has shown us such great love. And, and we just, I just prayed about this. We just sang about his faithfulness. The things that he has done, the ways that he has shown himself to be faithful can, can, can overwhelm us and cause us to feel free to worship him. And I, I called it... I called it liberated worship, like, like we were free to worship him without hindrance, unhindered abandonment was kind of the idea. But a lot of what I was talking about there was like the, the, the joyful side of worship. The, and a lot of times we associate it with singing, and we're going to talk about singing. We're going to talk about music style. We're going to talk about a little bit of all of those things. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the end of the sermon right now. The big point is that worship is more than just singing. Worship is an everything and who we are sort of thing. And that's the big point that we're going to make. Um, because, because we worship our God because only our God is worthy of worship. So you should already be in Revelation chapter 5. I'm just going to read verse 12, but let me just kind of preface this. Chapter 5... And this kind of flows into the way that I read Revelation now. Because, like, you can go in and try to understand, what does this mean? What is this representing? What is this saying is going to happen in the future? And how is all this going to play out? And that's an interesting way to study the book. But, but I've kind of gotten to where, what if we just read this like worship? Like, what if, this, what if when we're just talking about how big and amazing our God is, what if, what if we let that just feel like worship to us? And in Revelation chapter 5, you have these people saying, we have this scroll that we need to open, but there's, there's no one here who is able to open this scroll. What are we going to do? And then you get to Revelation 5, verse 12. It says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And it's saying, look, here is Jesus. He is the one who is worthy. He's the only one who is able to open the scroll because of who he is and what he has done. So the first thing we have to focus on if we're going to talk about worship is is who are we worshiping and why? And we worship worship God. We worship Jesus because only Jesus is worthy of our worship. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship. That being said, Jesus isn't the only one that we tend to worship. He's the only one deserving of it, but he is not the only one who receives our worship. We all worship. When we were created, God created us for his glory. We talked about this now several weeks back when we were talking about 
the theology of God and who God is. And we were talking about how, how God didn't need us. He didn't need creation. But he desired to create all of this so that he might receive glory from it. Because he is worthy of receiving that glory. And only he is worthy of receiving that glory. So he created us with the express purpose of our worshiping him, our bringing glory to him. We all worship because we were created to worship. The problem is that when, when sin entered the world, sin begins to shift the object of our worship. Away from God and to something else. This is Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 24 and 25. It says, Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, so we all worship. We have always been worshiping. We just worship different things. And sometimes we, we've placed our faith in some sort of a false god. Sometimes we're placing our hope and our worship in something that we don't realize is a god. Maybe, maybe that's something physical. Maybe that's, maybe that's something kind of intangible like my identity. Maybe I worship the way that I'm perceived. Maybe I'm, I worship the, the career path that I'm on. Maybe I worship what I'm able to do with the money that I have. Maybe I worship just, just the chasing after the next thing that's going to make my life more comfortable. Maybe it is just yeah, that idea of comfort is something that I worship. Those are all things that, that you hear me saying, you're like, yeah, those are things that we can worship. Or yeah, I used to worship things like that. I'm glad I don't worship those things anymore. But we can worship all sorts of things. We can misplace our focus and worship on other things, even within the church, and not even realize that we're doing it. We can worship music styles. We can worship styles of church. We can worship programming for our children. I mean, we, we and I'll say this, I'm not trying to say we don't want to do things good for the kids. We have lots of conversations actually on a weekly basis right now about how we want to continue to do more good things for the kids in that back room and things keep kind of happening that are getting better and we're improving certain things. But, but sometimes we worship the comfort and safety of, oh man, look at all of these things that this big place has to offer. My kids will have all of this. They even have a slide. Look, there's a slide. We worship, we worship that big thing. And I'm not saying that those things are innately wrong, but when we put our, our hope in those or when we think, I have to have these things to really be happy, we're beginning to worship the creature rather than the creator. We're worshiping the, the things that he's given us that we can do, the things that we can use as a part of his creation. But sometimes we can become distracted by those things and we fall into worshiping them as well. So we can worship, we can worship music styles. We can worship style of preaching. We can worship a version of scripture over another. Oh, you can't, you can't preach out of that one. That one's bad. Or that one's hard to read. Or that one's too easy to read. Or whatever it may be. There are lots of things that we can have opinions on and preferences of, but sometimes if we start, we start fighting over those things or, or picking that as the hill that we're going to die on, what we've actually done is fallen into worshiping created things rather than the creator of those things. 
Um, I, I joked this week because there's this great quote that John Piper built like lots of his ministry around that he put in a book a long time ago where he says, um, missions exists because worship doesn't. Like the fact that we don't worship is why the Great Commission needs to exist. Big idea, fantastic idea. I love that idea. I'm not saying I don't like that idea, but I'm going to modify it a little bit this morning just for my own purpose because I think you could actually say missions exist because worship is misplaced. Because worship happens. We're just worshiping the wrong things. So there you go, John, whenever you hear this, I know you're listening. I'm coming for you with a version 2.0 on your, on your book. I'm not. The fact that, that we have to go out and proclaim who Jesus is is because people are worshiping not Jesus. Like, like they are worshiping. They are just not worshiping the right thing. And we want to, as the church, the, the purpose of the Great Commission is to say, no, you're worshiping the wrong thing. Don't worship, don't worship that. Don't worship, don't worship your, your house. Don't worship your things. Worship God instead. There's, there's a fantastic verse. I think it's in Revelation 22. I'm going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. I don't find it right off the top of my head. Somebody's going to yell, no, that was the wrong place. Where, where, where John is seeing all of these amazing things happening and, and somebody's, somebody's showing him the heavens and he falls down to, and, he start, and he bows down in front of this messenger who's showing him all of these things. He says, no, 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 no. Don't worship me. I'm a servant just like you. Don't worship me. Worship God. Somebody's going to find that and tweet at me. You should have been prepared. That's fine. But that's, that's what our mission as the church is. Don't worship me. It was 22. I was so close. What's the verse number? Nine. I was on the wrong page. Revelation 22, nine. Yeah. Don't worship me. Worship God. Don't worship this. Worship God. That, that's what we are. That's who we are. That is our message. It shouldn't be hard to explain, and I'm going to get into that for, the rest of the, for, for a lot of the rest of what we do here, it should kind of make sense to us naturally how to worship God. Because like I said, we have all been created as worshipers. We naturally desire to worship something. Our, just The focus of our worship is constantly on the wrong things. And so, so I'm going to talk about ways that we worship, things that we worship through, how we can worship God through a lot of this. But I want you to realize... A lot of this is going to feel like common sense to you because that's the way you were created. It's just that when the Holy Spirit comes in us, he kind, of, he kind of refocuses our attention on the right thing, the right object of our worship. And he, and he shows us how, how we've taken some things and we've turned them into idols and we're, we're, we're being distracted, looking away from God. So, so let's go ahead and start to look at some ways that we do worship. A lot of times when we say, okay, we're going to talk about worship this week, you naturally think of singing, and that is part of it. I don't want to, I don't want to say, worship's not about singing. Worship is absolutely about singing. It's absolutely part of it. Um, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
part of the way that we respond to God when we are growing in Him, when we are studying His Word, when we are being changed by the Holy Spirit is through song. One of the things that I love particularly about this verse, because this is a thing that I've been, I've had this conversation for years with people when they're like, maybe you should play this kind of music. And I'm like, no, I like this kind of music. Maybe you should play music at this volume. No, I like music to be this loud. Maybe you should play songs that were written like a couple hundred years ago. No, I like the way that I say things now. I like the way that we talk in this day and age. Sounds about like me, right? Just, just hard no. Um, but even within this verse, just that one sentence displays a sort of diversity within worship styles, right? Because it doesn't even just say, they, and sing songs. It says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't know specifically what, in the time when Paul was writing this letter 2,000 years ago, the difference in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs were, but it tells me that there were differences in the types of things that they would sing. When I think of psalms, I think he's actually meaning singing some psalms. Like, go back and sing the words of Scripture that God has already given to us to praise Him. I mean, when I see the word hymns, I think of the, the big hardback bound hymnals that I grew up with. And you turn to number 462. 462. And you have like literally five seconds before they start singing and you're... We're going to do all three verses. We might even do the amens at the end if we really get crazy. Like that's, that's, what, that's what we all, I think many of us grew up around and, we, and we're familiar with that. And so, so it was natural for me, natural in a sinful sort of way, to rebel against that. It's like, oh, that's what I always grew up with. That's, that's boring. I know that. Let's move on. Let's do something new. And I think there's, I think within that verse, he's making the point. I think Paul's trying to make a point. There are different pieces of good worship music that you should grab from. Go back, grab old stuff from the Bible. Go back and sing some of the old songs. Sing some of the new stuff too. Um, there, was a, there was an article Dad sent me um, from, it was several weeks ago you sent it to me. It was, it was somebody who had written a letter to Billy Graham asking about, they're wanting to sing these, these songs and I don't like these songs. I like these songs. I like these older songs. Or I don't like these older songs, I like these new songs. I might have it backwards. I can't remember which one it was. I've slept since I read it. But basically, Billy Graham wrote this guy back a letter and said, the way I see it, the old songs were once new to somebody, and they were offended that they were singing new songs instead of the old songs that came before them. So maybe we should just look at the words that we're singing and say, are they glorifying to God? Cool. Let's sing those songs. And so we sometimes can fall into the trap of, I, I don't, maybe I don't connect as well with these words. Like these words aren't, this isn't the way that I talk, or this isn't the way that I like to sing. This isn't the style of music I listen to, so I don't listen to it and connect with it the same way. So I want to sing something different. And I think that's natural. I think we're all going to have, we're naturally going to have preferences as to what style of music we like to listen to. Like I don't listen to, I say I don't listen to a lot of country, but then when you go listen to a lot of like Chris Tomlin stuff, he's got some country in the way that he sings. But it's like, we all have different preferences and styles. There's a big difference when Nick is up here leading worship and when I'm up here leading worship because, because Nick can grow a beard so he can play a different style of music that I can play. Like that's really just kind of how the breakdown works. If you can grow a beard, you can play more of the stuff that Nick plays. 
Sorry. I thought that was funny. I'm going to take a sip of my Diet Mountain Dew and, re and refocus. Okay. There are lots of different styles that we're going to connect with um, more naturally. And I think what we're getting within Scripture is all of them, if they are focused on the right object of worship, are good and valid and should be and should be welcomed and loved within the church. So if we play a set of music and you're like, I didn't like that set of music, maybe next week we should play something different. And we try to do that. We try to pick different styles of things. Some things it's just within the, who are the people that are available to play worship music in your church? You're gonna, and you're kind of stuck with their, their skill sets. And we're a small church, so it's like you kind of get what you got with the people that can play. But I think, I think we should... And this takes, this takes some humility. This takes setting aside our idolatry of a preferred style or whatever. Maybe we should try to go out of our way to play music that suits the preferences of different kinds of people out of love for them. Maybe if, some, maybe if we have, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I haven't done a poll. I don't know how many of us are like, I really connect with like the Southern Baptist hymnal from like 1975. We haven't done that poll, but maybe there's like, over half of us that would love to sing more of those in that style. Maybe then we got to go get an organ and we got to make this work. Everybody's freaking out right now. Maybe we should sing just as I am after every single sermon. I don't know. But I think if we get too locked in to saying we have to play it this way because this is the kind that I like, that we're beginning to shift the object of our worship away from Jesus and back towards something that's a personal preference or something that, that we like more than another. And so I think, and I think one of the things that we as a church should continue to strive for is to be loving and welcoming to whatever type of person could walk in these doors and show them love. Hey, we love you. We want you to know Jesus. And maybe that includes mixing up the way we, we do worship, mixing up the way we play music. I talked a little while longer than I intended to on music, but that's, that's an area that I'm really closely connected to, and I think it's an area that I still have some growth in because there's lots of things that I still appreciate about particular styles. And I, I struggle to say, no, we should diversify the style of music that we play. Um, but if, we're, if the words that we're singing are glorifying to God, if the object of our worship isn't the music itself, but the God that the music is about, we should be excited no matter what the song choice is, no matter what the style of worship is. But here's the thing. Worship isn't just about singing. And, and I'll go on to say, a lot of times when we think of worship, we think of, I'm thinking like when, when you first started having bands and stuff in church, you never called it worship, you called it praise and worship, right? Now it's time for praise and worship. And we think of praise, and when we think of the word praise, we think of happy, and we think of joy, and we think of, of, of good things, and we're excited, and smiles on faces. And, and, and I think a lot of times that's, that's the thing that we, we do a better job of picking songs that are, are joy and happy and praise, but worship isn't just about joy. Worship, worship can happen through sadness, through lament, 
through repentance. Uh, If you want to turn to Psalm 51, you may. I'm going to read the whole thing. So Psalm 51, um, this is David right after he had been confronted by Nathan the prophet after his sin with Bathsheba. If you'd been coming on Sunday nights, we read that a couple months ago on Sunday night. Um, And David's confronted with this sin. He said, you have committed this sin. And David is just immediately broken. He immediately understands, yes, I have done this thing. I just want to read this because to me, this is a worship chapter, but it starts in a very different place than a lot of our worship songs start. Psalm 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The cool thing to me about that whole chapter is you see this whole arc in David from broken, sad, lamenting the things that he has done, crying out to God for mercy and repenting of sin. None of that is something you tend to think, let's sing a worship song. All right, let's lament over our sin. Some of that's because we as a church don't do a good job of finding the right way to sing those kind of songs that start from a place of remorse. I mean, his remorse, though about a very specific instance, if you read those words, he doesn't get into like specific detail about the things that he's, the sins that he committed, right? I mean, what did he just do? He just committed adultery and murder. (laughs) He doesn't get into all of those details, but so I think that that becomes something that can be used corporately. All of us have sinned, and all of us 
who are now saved at some point have felt broken over our sin in this very way. Where we're saying, God, please take away this from me. Don't abandon me. Restore me. Make me clean. Change who I am. Right? And it starts from this, from this kind of dark place of I am at my lowest. I am at my weakest. I am not the person who is described as the man after God's heart. Like, this is where he is. He's like, I don't have, my heart is not after you right now. But then we see this, this arc through the way that he cries out to God, and we see him saying, but, but you're the God of my salvation. God, create in me a clean heart. Make me new. Then give me these words. Let me shout your praises. Like we see this transition. And so, so worship comes from a place of lament and, and it builds to praise. But we're not always, I don't know about you, I'm not always in a place where I'm like super excited and super happy and ready to just jump up and down and be super joyful. I'm not always there. And I would venture to guess that most of us go through times where we're, where we're either either sad or hurt or in sin and in need of repentance. And so worship can come from a place of sadness, of brokenness, of need of repentance. And then he said, this is verse 15 and 16. He says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. He's having this realization, what you want for me isn't just for me to just do all of these good things. That's not what's going to please you. You want me broken and humbled and surrendered to you. So worship isn't just about singing. It's not just about joy. It's not just about sadness or repentance. It's about total surrender. Um, this has always been my go-to verse. Romans 12, 1. You should, you should listen to it pretty closely and maybe go ahead and just start remembering it because you might get asked to remember it this week. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's the thing, and this is, honestly, this is the last point. Worship is about letting go and completely surrendering everything that we have to Jesus. Putting, putting all of our hope in Him, all of our trust in Him, all of our faith in Him. Worship isn't about holding on tight to preferences about worship styles, music styles, church styles. Worship isn't about whether or not I'm standing or whether or not I'm sitting, whether or not my hands are up, whether or not my eyes are closed. All of those things are things that happen within worship. You'll notice I'm not making a big point about saying we should always stand and we should always raise our hands and we should always close our eyes. I will say this, though. When you think about hands up, 
when somebody puts their hands up, when they're asked to put their hands up, and they put their hands up, what are they saying? I surrender. Right. This is a very vulnerable position. I feel very vulnerable right now. Someone could easily just come up here and just poke me in the sides, and I would not be able to defend myself. Like, I'm leaving my hands up, and I'm starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, too. But I think sometimes some of the postures that we take in worship, hands up, eyes closed. I can't see what's going on around me. Somebody might be sneaking up. No one's sneaking up on you. It's okay. But, but we take some of these vulnerable positions. Down on my knees, prostrate on the ground, laying down, face down on the ground. These are some of the postures of worship that we've seen. And it's not about taking that posture if I'm just taking it to please God. But I think we see a lot of these different postures taken because what true worship is, is complete and total surrender to God. And sometimes that's saying, I give up. You can have me. I'm now uncomfortable in front of you because you are God. And I am not. So I'm not going to go off on a rant and tell you, you should raise your hands and close your eyes or you should, you should lay down on the ground or you should dance. Those things might naturally happen and it might be that you feel the Holy Spirit within you calling you to some sort of response like that. And that might feel uncomfortable to you, but it is okay to feel uncomfortable because you're basically saying, I'm giving up everything that I have and I'm trusting in Jesus. That is worship. Letting go of everything that we have, letting go of all of our, our trust and faith in ourself or our love for other things that have been created by God and putting our hope and trust in Him and surrendering everything that we have to Him. Worship is a response to what God has done. Worship is a response that is born out of the Spirit of God giving us a new heart with new desires and a new passion and love for Him. It is a letting go of our old self and a recognizing that He is our only hope and putting our complete hope and trust in Him. So maybe it is raising your hands. Maybe it is singing a song that you are unfamiliar with, with words that don't necessarily make sense, and they're not things that you would normally say on a day-to-day -day basis in a normal conversation with somebody. But if you, are, if you are letting go and completely putting your hope and your trust in Him, you are surrendering everything that you have to Him, presenting your body as a living sacrifice. He gets everything, everything about you. Everything that you want goes through Him. Your hope is in Him. Your trust is in Him. That is what worship is. Amen. He's ready to worship. His hands are going. Oh, is it she? Sorry. I couldn't see. There's a... Hey, there's the he. There's no bow. It's not fair. I'm just going to stop now. I'm going to stop preaching. I think that's the sign that it's time to stop preaching. There's a reason we call the singing that we do after the sermon response time 
because it's the time where we get to respond to the ways that God is working in us. Maybe he's not working in you in a specific way this morning, and it's just that we respond as a church that has been saved by the grace of God. Maybe it is just looking back on God's faithfulness to us that we were singing about earlier. Lord our God is ever faithful, never changing through the ages, right? That's, that's a big deal. And so maybe our response is just built out of, I've been saved, that's a big deal. I'm going to sing about that. I want to, I want to glorify God through that. Maybe, maybe there is something in your life where, where you are broken or where you are sin in sin, where you do need repentance. Maybe, maybe take David's example and look at it and you cry to God, say, God, I am, I am broken. I have done these things. But God, give me a new heart. Make me clean. Restore me back into fellowship with you. Give me, give me new words to sing your praise, right? Put, he, said, he said, you give me the words. Put the words in my lips to give you praise. Maybe, maybe you're not in on this. Maybe you aren't saved. Maybe you don't really understand any of this that I have said. But let me just say, if that is you, you think, I am not worshiping. I don't worship. I say, again, I go back to where we started. You are. You worship something. We all worship something because we were created to worship. And sin messed it up. Sin, sin distracted us from the thing that we ought to be worshiping. But I say, I say, stop worshiping the created things instead of your creator. And recognize that, that he is able to restore you back to himself, even though you have been far from him. So let's pray.